We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Edition brought to you by Dynasty Owner for September 3rd. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined by Mario Puig. We got a ton to get to today. Mario and I have both participated in RotoWire online championships over on the NFFC over the course of the last week. So we are, of course, going to be breaking down our teams from those respective drafts. Uh, RotoWire's very own Jerry Donabedian was also in my uh, RotoWire online championship uh, that took place Wednesday night. So we'll, we'll uh, make fun of his team a little bit as well. Now he has it. He has a very good team, actually. I'm, I'm kind of mad about it. Um, so we're, we're going to get into all of that. We're also going to get into some news and notes. Uh, you may have heard that Leonard Fournette has a new landing spot. We are going to unpack uh, what that means for the Tampa Bay backfield. And we're also going to take a look at the Jacksonville backfield, a couple other uh, odds and ends as we get things rolling here. But uh, before we start off, Mario, how are we doing? I'm doing pretty good. There's some maintenance guys or something or construction guys doing some kind of pipe work all around in my apartment. Is that a euphemism? No. um, (laughs) It's just annoying and real and and as described. And so you might hear my dog using squeaky toys during this thing because I had to go to like the middle of the room furthest away from the pipes. Um, So sorry about that. All good. Uh, Listener, you've been warned. Um, It's not me using the squeaky toy. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's for, yeah, that's for after recording. Um, let's see what else. Um, I am back from my, my trip to, uh, Boone, North Carolina. 
Um, that was, if, if anyone has not been there yet and is in shouting distance of the, the mountains in North Carolina, it's amazing. We went up on, on Grandfather Mountain. Uh, I went across this uh, swinging bridge that is exactly one mile off the ground uh, in terms of its elevation. That was fun. Uh, I got to see the campus over at App State, a beautiful campus that they have going on there. And uh, the, the town itself is amazing as well. And they, and they have a mellow mushroom, which is one of my favorite like small chain uh, pizza places. So uh, any town that has a mellow mushroom, I'm, I'm always in favor of that. So uh, you were it, on like a rope bridge. Um, it wasn't as rugged as that sounds. Um, it, it was metal, but it did kind of sway back and forth uh, as nope. I walked across it. Not so. going to do it. <laughs> Understandable. Um, I could barely get over that uh, Chesapeake bridge or whatever without just, you know, fainting many times so i'm not i'm not going on foot on any kind of bridge that swings like that in in your defense uh the the chesapeake bay bridge uh freaks a lot of people out and even myself included as a maryland native gets a little bit uncomfortable going across there that's you said a mile off the ground though didn't you i sure did okay yeah it's not a mile for the chesapeake bay bridge is it i I know it's really high high up terrifying but yeah um I'm not going on a I'm not going on a swinging bridge from you know 50 yards up. So uh, I guess I impress yeah I guess I'm impressed by that. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I guess ignorance is bliss. I just turned my brain off and just walked across it without <laughs> thinking thinking of how insane uh, it really was um, in hindsight. But Johnny Knoxville, I'm going to call you from now on. <laughs> this is crossing a bridge. Um, Anywho, anywho. All right, so let's get into into some news and notes from around the league. Uh, let's start things out. Let's unpack the Leonard Fournette stuff because it, there's a lot to get to. Um, there, There is the general, you know, if you've been diligently following the, the Tampa Bay news throughout the offseason, and, you know, we've been covering it a fair bit on this podcast as well, things kind of started to be trending towards like, oh my gosh, Ronald Jones is finally going to happen this year. It looks like Keyshawn Vaughn, just due to lack of availability, just isn't really going to be a major part of this rotation. So we don't have to worry about him if we if we like Jones. Uh, it doesn't seem like McCoy is making a ton of noise. Um, and then Dario Gumbawale, like, like you've laid out several times on this podcast, really um, a very limited as far as what he can really do out there and and what he gives you is is very replacement level or or maybe even diminishing returns. So it seemed like Ronald Jones was going to end up being a solid value where he was going in in ADP in terms of being like a late fifth, early sixth uh, type of guy. And then, of course, Leonard Fournette just comes in and, and ruins everything. So what happens now? Well, I have no idea, but Bruce Arians is saying even today, Thursday, that Ronald Jones is still his guy unless he uh, screws it up or whatever the quote was. And you could easily infer that that means there's there's a quick leash situation here, and that would certainly make sense. Um, I don't know whether I think Jones will fail particularly. A lot of people are reading it as just like, oh, that's that's just Arians lying. There's this meme going around like Arians lies about his running backs. It's not really that he lies about them. Arians is actually pretty honest a lot of the time. Um, it's just that like people were pointing at like, oh, look, he said Chris Johnson's going to be the guy. Andre Ellington's going to be the guy. Andre Ellington got hurt. That one's not complicated if you just look at what happened there. Uh, and Chris Johnson, it was like they went with him. He sucked. Uh, they eventually went away from him. 
whichever year that was that David Johnson emerged, that might have been the Chris Johnson case. I don't know. 2015. Um, Yeah. And we know that Arians isn't exactly dishonest all, at least he's not all the time because after those games last year, he just said like, yeah, I'm pissed off at Ronald Jones because he missed a block. It's like, was he lying then? Or is is he only lying when it suits what, whatever it is that you want to sell to people? I think it's the second one. Um, but I don't think there's any way for outsiders to know a whole lot in this case. And I I know people want to hear like a decisive verdict. As far as that goes, the closest one I can give anybody is stay away from the whole thing. I don't see the point really in going after either Jones or Fournette in drafts. Um, I didn't go after either of them in the first place either. And I think that's just because regardless of what you think of Ronald Jones or Keyshawn Vaughn before that, there's more value to be had in the wide receiver personnel in that part of the draft. And so I've adhered to that rule every single draft of mine. So I just never end up in the situation where I have to wonder what I think about Jones. Like someone else always takes him while I'm taking DJ Chark or Terry McLaurin or whatever. So I'm going to keep doing that. And I would recommend that other people do as well, because to me, it looks like the ball could break in a lot of directions right here. And anyone who tells you that they know anything definitively I think you could probably ignore. Right. Yeah. That that is like the the big takeaway right now is that there are no definites and you know Fournette, you know, maybe just got into the building today as we, as we're recording. So, um, you know, he's going to have to get up to speed uh fairly quickly. Um I think in terms of talent, it's probably fair to say that he's the most talented running back on this team. Um but at, at the same time that I feel like that's a fairly low bar and I I've been out on Fournette um, throughout the course of this draft season, even when he was on the Jaguars, he was part of that tier of running backs that I just didn't really have a ton of interest in, whether it's him, Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, um, James Conner, those types of guys. I, I just have been uh, intentionally not getting shares of them. Uh, Fournette, uh, for example, last night, I think he got signed like during the draft or something like that as the draft was unfolding. Um, he went, um, in the early part of the, of the seventh round, it looks like. So he fell, um, and Ronald Jones went like five picks before him. And I think that I would imagine, uh, whoever took Ronald Jones there probably just did not have the news in front of them. So that was, uh, an unfortunate break for them, but either way, I'm with you in, in the sense that this is a backfield that I'm going to, uh, be steering away for it for the most part I'm just not really going to end up with with any shares at least uh, from here on um, but do you think that this uh, signing of Fournette and, and of course that they, they did sign LaShawn McCoy earlier this summer is this sort of any hand tipping and they've also talked about you know running the, the two tight end as, as their base personnel that sort of thing is this a hand tipping that they are going to be a you know a bit of a run first or power type of offense here even though they have you know, Tom Brady and the the ridiculous group of, of wide receivers? I don't think it's indicating anything on the philosophy part of their offense because they couldn't have foreseen this happening unless they were planning on doing this the whole or if they were planning on doing this the whole time and they were prepared to go into the year without this supposedly like according running back personnel until the Jaguars surprisingly cut Fournette, then they'd have to be a uniquely incompetent team I, th- I think their plan has nothing to do with Fournette I think Fournette just became uh, available and they didn't expect it but they you know just looked at him as a free agent and said well uh one million or sorry one year two million dollars you say sure why the hell not like it's it's they didn't spend anything to get him and that's another funny thing about this like you're gonna see some people who are saying 
oh, Fournette is clearly ahead of Ronald Jones. Clearly the Buccaneers don't like Ronald Jones. It's like, well, then why didn't they add somebody before Fournette? Why did it take a team uh, shockingly releasing this guy 10 days before the season before they added Fournette? And if Fournette's so valued across the league, if it's so obvious that Fournette's better than Ronald Jones, then why did he sign for a one-year, $2 million contract? And get through I waivers. People used to, I remember like last – it hasn't happened as much this uh, this year, but last offseason – couple off seasons before that probably it was real trendy to do this fantasy analysis where you just basically click descending order of salary and go like oh this guy's salary is higher than this guy so he clearly the team's gonna play Deion Lewis is getting paid more than Derrick Henry so look at what's (laughs) gonna happen now you don't understand numbers like me and it's like okay well where are you now then what does that one year two million for Leonard Fournette mean to you and I've seen people try to rationalize it by saying like oh but he's gonna get a grievance payout it's like he's not factoring that into it like his market was cold because a, he's probably not very good. Like, if, if you look at his numbers across his career, they're not good. They're, they're replacement level at best. Last year, he had a lot of yards on the ground, but he had a lot of usage driving that. He had four carries over 40 yards, which was a fluke, and he still only had 4.3 yards per carry. If you have four carries over 40 yards, you should be doing four point three. You should be doing better than 4.3 yards per carry, especially when you only have three touchdowns. So the idea that Fournette is actually good has no solid basis at this point and we have reason to believe the league believes that based on his contract that he got from the Buccaneers and um you know it's 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 also like he was he was not a particularly likable player with the Jaguars they 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 seem pretty reliably alienated from him and I think they wanted to cut him back in like May or whenever he said that thing uh what he, he said something about Minshew or something and then all of a sudden you heard uh look the the Jaguars are shopping Fournette and clearly it was that moment that they decided they were going to cut him it's just that they decided oh wait let's see if we can trade maybe maybe August will come and someone will give us a seventh round pick for him and then that never happened and they cut him then but they chose to cut him way before that and it's like if he was good do you think they make that call right then do you think do you think if if he's as good as as someone might assume he is that he would have been just tossed aside on the basis of of making some Instagram slight toward a sixth round pick rookie quarterback. Like I just, I just don't think that that people are looking through all these things and they're they're just kind of deferring for the people who are optimistic about Fournette and, and pessimistic on uh, Jones and calling this like, oh, Fournette's going to get seventy percent of the work from now on. Like you don't know much about him, and I know you don't because. He can't. He didn't produce in the past like Jones did last year. Like he, he hasn't produced better than him, and the teams have no reason to 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 be like drawn toward his personality. So, if Arians was slighting Jones last year because he's just like getting irritated with his blitz pickup and stuff, just wait till he meets Fournette. Like wait wait till you see <laughs> like wait till uh, they see like what kind of person he is, what to be around. It's it's like. Uh, I, I just saw the uh, the last dance thing on Netflix. So I'm, I'm, from this point in the podcast, I'm going to make uh, all analogies uh, relative to the the 1990s Chicago Bulls. Um, okay. But all it's right. like it's like uh, Fournette's kind of like the Michael Jordan level of abrasiveness, but without any of the actual uh, like merit. Like he he doesn't he doesn't win respect by being as good as as he is abrasive. So this this idea that like oh finally. They got this guy, Leonard Fournette, that they want so bad, who's so good, and, and they don't like Ronald Jones because he's bad. It's like, well, I don't really – they could both lose then. Like I don't see why anyone thinks Fournette's just going to go run away with this. He, he hasn't done it on the field, and off the field he reliably seems to alienate people, whereas at least it doesn't seem like Jones has that against him. Like maybe Jones isn't that good. 
but he, I don't, I don't think he's worse than Fournette. Um, and he knows the offense too. Like whatever happened to, to making such a big deal out of that? Like Fournette right. and yeah, Ten they, days, they really pick just, and choose. Like they're you know sort of like the the manatees in South Park or whatever, you know, that, that come up with the family guy cutaway gags or whatever. It's like, Oh, except if the manatees were picking, uh, the, the subjects on the basis of what would drive up their site subscription the most. These, these manatees have MBAs. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, as, as a scouting report for Fernet goes, I think it's pretty obvious. He's a big guy. He's really physically strong. He's freakishly fast for how, but he doesn't have functional athleticism and strength for football related tasks. Like he's heavy and strong, but he doesn't have good balance. So he runs into people and he tips over. He doesn't break tackles as much as you would expect. He's, he's heavier uh, above his feet than, than in the, the ankles and legs. So he doesn't have any real anchor for all this ass that he's carrying. So it's, it's, it's all kind of a waste. And, and it's like, he, he can do these stunts. Sh- sure. Um, but, but he can't, functionally use that athleticism in any any useful way or at least it hasn't happened in jacksonville so um i I don't think there's much to him other than kind of the opportunity that he might get and maybe he gets the opportunity maybe maybe bruce arians does feed him and, and maybe he gets some touchdowns because the buccaneers are a good team and they're in scoring position a lot i just don't see why ronald jones would do worse than him in those opportunities and i don't see anything about fournette as a character or fournette in these 10 days that he has to prepare that would lead the buccaneers to to basically just blacklist jones i mean people are talking about how carry people are panicking about carry on johnson starting like the entire year because deandre swift is limited in practice with the season 10 games away it's like you think fournette coming into this team with with no background there and then that system or anything is just going to run away with it like i i just don't understand what what coherent standard anyone has anymore you know that they're just projecting like what you're in like wish casting what what they want to happen what what's good for what they've already drafted in, the, in their respective like draft portfolios and just kind of hoping that that it pans out the best for them and i really i see no way in which this backfield isn't just a complete headache for for yeah. you know fantasy players like this is for redraft picking between jones and fournette for your starting lineup in week one like forget about it like i I just would have no interest in in trying to do that at at least um you know from this point forward if if i were to have either a jones or a fournette on my team certainly not going after either of them in dfs and you know maybe that i'm shutting myself off to some sort of upside scenario but i don't really see it like you said fournette 265 carries last year seven of them only went for for over 20 yards ronald jones almost matched that on like 100 fewer um carries he had six rushes of over 20 yards on 172 carries also Um, fournette had really bad i don't know how pass blocking works that well but uh fournette had really uniquely bad pass blocking grades from pff the past well, three well, years i guess the bruce arians will, will of course overlook that one that's why fournette, he right? will like him so yeah. much yeah uh but also mike uh mike garofalo nfl network guy yep. he was saying that Lashawn mccoy was told that he's still on the team and he still has a role in that it will particularly occur in passing downs. so to to be fair to the jones haters he had bad pass blocking grades too, and, and Arians complained about him and his bad pass blocking even in a, in a press conference. So, uh, if him and Fournette are both bad pass blockers, then McCoy really might be the passing down guy, which is to say, we might have Fournette and Ronald Jones splitting something like 750 snaps on some basis. So, it, it's, it, it sucks. I don't want anything to do with this. Yep, it's gross. 
I think we've exhausted it. We've fracked the heck out of this um, <laughs> this hill um, here in, in, as far as the Bucks backfield is concerned. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. If you're looking for a credit card that fits your lifestyle, look no further. U.S. Bank has credit cards that make every day rewarding, no matter what you're into. Feeling hungry? Check out the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. And get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. That'll keep your wallet and your mouth full. Big spender? The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card has a low intro APR for large purchases or balance transfers. And you call the shots with the U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card. Choose two categories each quarter. Earn 5% back on your first $2,000 of eligible purchases from those categories. So don't just get a credit card, get the right card to make every day more rewarding. Cash back, merchandise, travel rewards, and low intro APRs are waiting. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Let's talk about the team that Leonard Fournette was recently released from, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. To give a bit of you know market update, a little bit of added context, um, looks like uh, Raquel Armstead seems to be like the the most coveted uh, draft asset um, since Fournette's departure. Um, he went in the middle of the ninth round in my draft um, on, on uh, Wednesday night. So yeah, that that probably is too high. I ended up circling back and getting James Robinson with, with my second to, to last pick before I, I took my kicker. Um, and I, I feel okay about that. I mean, it, you know, it's your 19th round pick. You're, you're not really expecting uh, a ton one way or the other. And if it ends up working out and he ends up starting for me, even for one week, I, I would call that a win at that stage of the draft. Um, but, you know, people are trying to make things out of, you know, a a litany of these uh, Jaguars running backs, whether it's, again, it's Armstead, whether it's Divine Zigbo, whether it is um, James Robinson, and then Chris Thompson kind of away from the equation, really, because he's not going to be taking on a, a whole lot of uh, first and se- second down work. He'll only be out there in obvious passing situations for the most part, plus the fact that he, he is a durability concern um, nonetheless. So what's your read on this backfield? Are Is this one that you're also going to just kind of be fading for from here on out not necessarily because the prices are a lot cheaper than in the tampa case and i know the offense will be worse but the a lot cheaper to the point that in the case of ozigbo and james robinson they're basically free i guess um there could be some scenarios where i would take on armstead but to me he went from basically like a 20th round pick to a I don't know, maybe 12th, 13th, 14th, something like that. So if he's going in the ninth, I'm not going to get any. I don't care. Uh, he is good at a couple things, but pass catching is not one of them. So his, his ceiling and his floor are both pretty low. It's If, if he has any, um, any utility to offer us this year, it has to do with his running ability, where he is probably pretty good. I mean, he's, he's 5'10", 5'11", 220, and he runs that 4'4", 5'. So you talk about that kind of speed, that you know, 4'4", 5 on a 220", frame that's a lot to work with right there for for running purposes and at temple he was always pretty good he had one down year uh, where he averaged like 3.9 yards per carry but if i remember right he was he was playing hurt that year Mm -hmm. uh as he's hurt now i don't even remember what it is but like as of today uh thursday he's still not in practice from this thing that's it's got to be like a week or 10 days that he's been out now 
and that's going to happen to a guy like him. I compared him as a prospect to Chris Ivory because he, they're both these guys who are like 220 plus who are pretty explosive when, when you give them a football and just put them in a running drill, uh, put, put them in a, you know, a tunnel between the tackles and they bash through it pretty fast. But they don't do anything else really and they get hurt a lot because they invite so much contact. And, and Armstead's one of those guys, like, if you turn on his temple tape, he's got a lot of motor. Like, he's, just, he's one of those guys who people kind of – tacklers kind of bounce off of him because they're just shocked at how much harder he's playing than they are. And that's good to carry into the NFL, um, but it also means like you know if, if you're if you're inviting that much contact, eventually something's going to go wrong for you. Uh, so he he's got the speed and the, and the ability to break tackles, but it's a question of like how many tackles can his body even withstand breaking? And you know he's not going to compete with Chris Thompson for for pass catching because at Temple he was a really bad pa- uh, receiver too. Yep. So I, I think Chris Thompson all the same is someone you shouldn't chase. Like I've seen a lot of people saying, Oh, well that means Chris Thompson's going to get a promotion. If Chris Thompson were going to get a promotion because of that Fournette release, Chris Thompson would have gotten a promotion a long time ago. Cause Chris Thompson has always been a really good runner and pass catcher. Both. He was on track to be probably like a pretty high draft pick at Florida state. Uh, he had a really big year as a true sophomore, re- uniquely explosive player, but he broke his back. And then, uh, like his career looked like it was going to be over. And then he had, I don't even remember what he had a torn ACL a couple of years ago. Right. And he, you look through his uh, career log, it's like 10 games, 11 games, 10 games, 10 games. So he has as much injury concern as basically anybody aside from, you know, Jordan Reed and Brandon cooks or something like that. And they know that that's why he never got that promotion before because they, they saw him get hurt over and over and they're like, man, this sucks. We wish we could use Chris more, but he keeps getting hurt. So let's limit his snaps to 25, 30 snaps a game. That was what he was going to play with Fournette there. And he's not going to play more than that because Fournette is gone. With that said, if he's cheap enough in a PPR league, Chris Thompson could be a guy who gives you decent flex weeks because he is good. Like he's definitely a skilled player. Uh, The only question is what kind of usage is he going to get? And the answer is almost certainly not much as a runner. And even what he does as a pass catcher will be subject to, you know, the snap count cap that he has. So if you can get him in like the, I don't know, 15th, 16th or later, and you're, you just kind of need some running back utility, someone who can just give you some snaps. I can't really argue against him there, but if people are chasing him higher than that on the assumption that he has upside, that's just wrong. He doesn't have much upside and his floor is pretty low because of the durability issues. Yeah. So Chris Thompson, not, not someone that I'm particularly targeting. I think you laid it out right in the sense that, uh, you know, once you get to a certain point in the draft, you know, any, any port in a storm. And if you need, um, you know, some, some running back snaps some running back help, um, a little bit later on in your drafts, then he definitely makes some sense. But like you said, certainly not something to, to be chasing after. So, um, when it comes to what the rushing down workload, uh, looks like, and again, you, you laid out what Armstead's trajectory looks like and, and how, he is good. He is going to be effective, but it's a, it's a question of how he's how long he's going to be able to hold up given that style. Um, so then we get into the question of of what to make out of Divina Zigbo and James Robinson, respectively. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, there's some people uh, who are really high on Divino Zigbo in, in kind of like fantasy football Twitter. I tend to believe the people that are high on him are consistently wrong about prospects and i know why they like him it's because they turn on the preseason tape or his nebraska tape and like oh he had some big plays he runs hard he does run hard like armstead ozigbo is a high motor guy like he's always going to have um you know 110 percent effort out there 
but it's one of those things he's so lacking in athletic talent that he needs to be at 110% motor just to be within any kind of competitive margin of, of the players that he's going against. And if you're running at 110% all the time, you're probably going to run out of gas faster than the other guys who, who can be good without using 110% of their effort all the time. So I think Ozigbo is basically like a poor man's Kenneth Farrow. And Ooh, nice. You might have, uh, and if you're a normal person, you probably don't even know who Kenneth Farrow is. And I guess I'm just going to say, like, you don't really need to learn. Uh, it doesn't doesn't really matter. It's just Azigbo's a guy who will run hard, and he, he's he's got a good build to withstand contact. But he ran a four six five at the Nebraska Pro Day, so that could be anything from a four seven to a four seven five on the combine track. And on the combine track, James Robinson ran a four six four. Armstead ran a four four five. So Ozigbo's way behind those guys in terms of athleticism. And um, as much as he's got some like anchor ability, he can he can run hard. He can probably get you some third and ones, stuff like that. I just think that even if he can, Armstead and Robinson are both better at that too. And Robinson is the one that I'm probably ending up with if I'm ending up with any of them. He's not always free. Uh, like I, th- I think him getting to the 19th in your, in your draft is about the best case scenario. And in your case, I, I definitely like to get him. Uh, but yeah, Robinson, he's 5'9", 219. And he had one of the most impressive seasons at Illinois State last year that I've ever seen from a running back. I actually had I actually kind of like woke up uh, at night a, a while ago because I kind of thought that I must have gotten something wrong when I typed in to, the, to this article. My, my all overlooked rookie article from Way back in April 3rd, which has aged incredibly well. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, kind of funny, actually. But yeah, Robinson is one of the guys that I listed in there. And I, I mentioned in Illinois State last year, they threw the ball for in 15 games. That's that's three more than, than what you get in most uh, college seasons uh, in the FBS level. And so in the FCS, they, they play 15 games. James Robinson runs for 1,917 yards and 18 touchdowns. Do you want to guess how much the Illinois State offense threw for that year? Uh, they threw for like 2,000 yards. They threw for 1,767 <laughs> and 10 touchdowns. Oh James God. Robinson ran for more yards by about 150, uh, exactly 150 more yards than the team threw for. He had eight more rushing touchdowns than they did passing touchdowns. And the second, this is not like uh, a Nebraska back in the day with Eric Crouch and Darren Diedrich or whoever. This is just James Robinson doing everything because the second leading rusher had 476 yards at 4.3 yards per carry, which was a full yard less per carry than Robinson accomplished while putting up almost five times as much yardage. And then he adds a 40 inch vertical at the combine and 125 inch broad jump. Like he has a, like a Zach Moss kind of frame and that vertical is 93rd percentile according to mock draftable the broad jump is 88th percentile this guy is really dense and he's really springy and his college production pretty much tells us he can run the, he might not be good at pass catching i don't i don't really know how to evaluate him there and i don't know how to evaluate him as a pass blocker but for what it's worth people around jacksonville media were tweeting out some stuff about look at this pancake he got on this linebacker in this blitz pickup drill and uh, so maybe he's good at that and if he is i I mean, I think he in the long term, if, if you're giving me like a, a 18 month, two year timeline, I'm picking Robinson without knowing the price between Armstead himself and uh, Ozigbo. So right now, with him being cheaper than those guys, I think it's it's 
definitely right to go with him if any of them. I re- yeah, I really like how you, how you uh, framed that. Um, yeah, he, he's someone that that has that really intriguing athleticism. Not not that Armstead um, doesn't, but but like you said, you know the the draft day acquisition costs so different for these guys. Where where Robinson is close to free, um, Armstead obviously getting pushed up now. It seems like inside the top ten rounds, I, I won't get him there. So um, you know all of that in mind, I think that Robinson is. is really does fit the bill as that late round flyer um i've seen one comparison and i don't think they're they're similar as players but in terms of potential uh rookie year trajectory maybe a philip Lindsay type of year yeah it could happen and uh you know Lindsay's a good player so i, I don't want to make expectations too high for robinson but i mean like you said it, it's not like anyone um it's not like anyone predicted Lindsay would well you other than you, I guess no one predicted what Lindsay would do that year. Uh, and and it would not be that much more surprising if, if Robinson did something like that. You see? So so keep an open mind for these undrafted guys. Sometimes they slip through the cracks and, and the NFL teams don't have all the answers. And, uh, you know, somebody like a Lindsay or, or maybe in this case a James Robinson um, finds their way into fantasy utility. Uh, before we move on over to our respective NFFC drafts, got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. I've been looking for a new challenge, which is why I'm playing on Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football this season. Dynasty Owner Fantasy Football unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office. Dynasty Owner is the only way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an NFL franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique challenge for diehard fantasy football fanatics. Go to dynastyowner.com slash rotowire. Leagues are forming right now. That's dynastyowner.com slash rotowire. We've all been in those leagues where the winner just got lucky. And if you're like me and you know you're better than most, Dynasty Owner gives you the platform to prove it. Dynasty Owner favors skilled players who can manage their roster using real NFL salaries within the salary cap. It adds an entirely new level of strategy. Go to dynastyowner.com slash rotowire validate your fantasy football skills that's dynastyowner.com slash rotowire dynasty owner start your dynasty today and we also got a message from our friends over at FanDraft. Take your league's fantasy football draft to the next level with FanDraft, the online fantasy football draft board. FanDraft makes your draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as a streaming ticker, live draft, custom logos, team walk-up songs, multiple draft board displays, and more. FanDraft can be used for offline, for in-person drafts by exporting the display via projector or onto a large screen TV, but it can also be used fully online in any number of your league owner's can join the draft remotely. You can also perform traditional and auction-style drafts. FanDraft also supports IDP, rookie-only drafts, keepers, and just about any customization to meet your league's requirements. You can sign up for a free trial at FanDraft.com. And when you're ready to order the pro account, make sure to use promo code ROTOPOD15. That's R-O-T-O-P-O-D-15 to save 15% off your purchase. Again, that's FanDraft.com. Use promo code ROTOPOD15 to save 15%. All right, Mario, let's 
get steered on over uh, to the NFFC. Um, let's start out with, with your draft. Yours took place on Friday, so a couple of guys will, will obviously have had um, very different ADPs since then. Uh, we can we can get into some of the, that movement uh, when we look at my draft, but um, let's get into your general um, roster build again just for uh, context. Uh, if you're not familiar with the NFFC, it is a PPR um, format, full-point PPR uh, 12 team leagues, uh, 20 rounds. So pretty, pretty uh, deep benches that, that you're getting into. Um, very, very sharp rooms. Um, a big yeah. lesson that, that I learned or that I've learned now two years in a row, but you know, learned it the hard way type of thing is that you can't really hope to pass your sleeper through to the next round, right. especially if you're picking towards the middle of your respective round. It can be a very, very dangerous game. I, I know when we get into mine, what we'll talk about, uh, the the fallout from from me getting sniped on Zach Moss uh, that really had ended up changing my running back strategy in a way that uh, you know I'm, I'm a little bit tepid on, on how my running back depth ended up turning out as a result but again Mario was drafting on Friday uh, drafted out of the eighth spot um, in this particular format and you went RB heavy early and you still managed to get some pretty strong uh, receivers as well and really fill out your uh, starting lineup pretty nicely through the first first uh, 10 rounds. Um, so let, let's dive in there. Um, how did you get started? And, and were you envisioning going that running back heavy early on? I kind of envisioned it. And I actually, uh, so you can set up the, you can't, you can't like pick the slot that you want to draft from, but you can issue your preferences. And then uh, the site for the NFFC crunches everybody's preferences. And uh, I don't know. They do coin flipping algorithms, I'm sure, when everybody puts, you know, I want McCaffrey, please. And then, you know, some lucky person gets that pick and then everybody else gets their second, third, fourth preference or whatever. I had the eighth slot as something like my third preference after uh, probably first for McCaffrey and third for Zeke in mind. But I put that eighth spot because I looked at the ADP from the, about the week leading up to my draft because I noticed Nick Chubb was falling into kind of like the 16th, 15th pick. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to pick Nick Chubb, I hope. And so I'm going to make my draft slot around where I can realistically get him uh, as late as possible. So I ended up with the eighth pick, which was fine with me. At the time, Joe Mixon's contract situation was up in the air. And and I already had a share of Joe Mixon on my NFFC best ball team. So I thought maybe I should diversify here. Like In hindsight, maybe I would have doubled down on, on Mixon with my eighth pick. But at the time, and, and I'm, still, I'm still okay with this, I took Derrick Henry. And that works fine for me. I, I like Henry a lot. With, with Mixon, the only question is like he's, you know, He's he's got more pass catching upside. I think Mixon is clearly one of the best pass catchers at running back, even though the Bengals haven't used him yet. I can imagine that Joe Burrow improves that offense and they get a lot more first downs than they did before. And, and it kind of just lends to more pass catching opportunities to Mixon, even if they don't make it a strategic focal point. But I also think they might make it a strategic focal point. So I, I do like Mixon there. I went with Henry to, I guess, diversify, though. And, and you know, hopefully that does the trick. Uh, Nick Chubb at the 16th pick or whatever I had him at. I love that. I, I think people are just straight up wrong about him. I think a lot of loud voices with big platforms are leading people into faulty premises. And I I, I need to hammer it. I need to, I need to try to exploit that and, and, you know, put my money where my mouth is. So I'm going 
all chub all the time pretty much until people start respecting him which i guess they never will because they're still chasing that nostalgia of of how smart they felt when they picked kareem hunt in the eighth round uh four years ago and spencer Ware got hurt uh thus proving how smart they were but (laughs) i think that uh it makes sense to approach the first two rounds like i did and then in the third round this is where i actually had to make my first decision really and I kind of had it made a little easier for me because I was looking at Odell Beckham for that pick. I, I was I was uh, thinking I might go receiver here, but Odell Beckham went off the board, and I still think Odell Beckham is is a top three receiver. Like I I think he's better than Michael Thomas. Uh, I know you can't say that, but I think he's better than Michael Thomas. It's it's to me Julio, and then. Uh, probably Odell or yeah, I mean Thomas know. Thomas is like you know not not to like diverge this into like a fantasy versus reality debate but Thomas Thomas is only being the the first receiver pick because of his utility for like for fantasy purposes like it, no one would would have him as their wide receiver one in terms of he's, talent yeah he's like he's just like what would happen if Keyshawn Johnson had been coached by you know had played with Kurt Warner or something like that um, but anyway with Odell taking the pick before me I did briefly consider Mike Evans or DJ Moore or somebody like that because I was like, oh, well, that would be a nice kind of you know floor to give myself at receiver going into the fourth round. But then I thought about you know the the tournament phase of, of the NFC NFFC and and how that that grand prize kind of requires you to do goofy stuff and and, and get big like almost incomprehensible upside. So I thought, out of hell with it, I'll just take Jonathan Taylor. Um, what's the difference? I mean, it, it's it's either like I, I, I rank really high or I, I don't rank high enough. And I feel like um, the risk with Taylor is kind of overstated, in my opinion. And if he takes two or three weeks to get going, I think I can weather that storm because I feel like I got decent foundation other other places in my roster. So uh, Henry and Chubb gives me a really nice, I think, high upside foundation at running back that that lets me take that additional home run swing for Taylor. And then in the fourth round, it was already, of course, the, the problem with that, drafting that way in NFFC is that people take quarterbacks and, and tight ends quite a bit later, I think, than, or I guess, I guess this was pretty typical in, in, in relative to even some best ball leagues. But uh, in this case, Tyler Boyd barely got to me in the early fifth round. And I feel like he usually falls to the sixth and seventh in most best ball leagues that I've done. I don't know why that is. I, I don't think he should be falling that far. I actually think that the early fifth where I took him is where he should go. I'm just not used to having to take him that soon. So it, it was a close call. Someone took Tyler Lockett ahead of him, which I think is a mistake. Uh, There's a couple picks here and there that I really didn't agree with that let me get these guys. So I, I was lucky, I think, to get this team. But in the fourth, I took A.J. Brown. Maybe that was a bad idea since I have Henry already and the respective highest upside scenarios for the two kind of involve an absence for the other. Mm. But I think Brown was just kind of the best receiver available. I I thought briefly about taking DJ Chark, but that that was the choice in the fourth round, uh, the the kind of mid late fourth round. Uh, Excuse me. It was it was AJ Brown who I took. And then the next receivers taken were Chark, Cortland Sutton, Terry McLaurin, Marquise Brown. So. I think I would do it the same way again, uh, even though I, I am kind of, you know, perhaps limiting my, my really high upside scenario by, by not uh, leaving myself in position to capitalize if, if either of Henry or Brown gets hurt, uh, God forbid. But I do like the, the first five rounds in any case of Henry, Chubb, Taylor, A.J. Brown, Tyler Boyd. There is a six point passing touchdown uh, scoring detail with the NFFC draft. So 
waiting on quarterback is totally reasonable to do, but I think that with Lamar and Pat Mahomes kind of forging a new tier of quarterback scoring, that there's there's more of a risk in punting than before. It's a risk that's rational, but I, I think it's still risky than before because in past years, waiting on quarterback was just the obvious thing to do. Like I don't think there was a case for taking a quarterback early in the past, but I do think Lamar and Pat Mahomes changed the game, and I think Dak Prescott is going to go into that uh, kind of th- – third uh, sorry the the third quarterback behind them mm-hmm. and uh kind of like a, a new second tier that's higher than any of the previous second tiers so in the late sixth round i thought you know i like my running backs and receivers enough i'll take dak um i hoped i could get cd lamb a little bit later but he didn't quite make it to my eighth round pick i took darren waller in the seventh and this is this is something that i maybe should have done differently i went into the draft knowing i wanted to wait at tight end like I, I knew I would see at some point a tight end that I thought was a bargain and I wanted myself to pass on them anyway because it's the PPR scoring makes it easier for these later tight ends like TJ Hawkinson Chris Herndon Irv Smith to be useful in my opinion because they they're in offenses where there's kind of just cheap targets up for grab not so much Hawkinson like I, I think he could score touchdowns but it's like Herndon just because the Jets receivers are so bad that guy's going to catch 80 passes if he plays 16 games. And in PPR, getting 80 catches in the in the 13th round at tight end, that's awful. Um, but I went with Waller at the, the, the mid-early 7th round, uh, largely because I felt so comfortable about my foundations at running back and receiver and quarterback, but also because... I just I just think Waller is underrated and I think he projects well for another 90 catches this year and I don't have as much durability concern with him as I do with Chris Herndon so I was like man I didn't really expect Waller to be here um I took him and also part of the reason I, t- I rationalized that pick was like I didn't really like the receivers that were available that much at that early seventh round pick uh, I was either choosing between Waller or CD Lamb and I figured uh, CD Lamb might make it to my next pick in the eighth round he didn't, so I wasn't able to pair C.D. and Lamb with Dak Prescott, which isn't ideal. But I I went to um, an alternative, which I liked plenty at the time, and I'm still okay with it. Although you might have heard Jalen Rager has a shoulder injury, and I don't think it's all settled yet. They've been saying he's probably going to miss a month. I don't I don't know if it's all settled yet. I could imagine things. I could imagine more bad news to come from that one, just because when you talk about like partial labrum tear, Ugh. that. That sounds like you're getting into sort of like experimental treatment territory, experimental. Send him to Germany. Yeah, I mean, if Rager's okay, that that pick of him in the late eighth would have been sick. Uh, I still think I might be okay at receiver, though, because in the next round, I got Sterling Shepard, a guy who is I don't normally end up with because he is a major concussion risk. But some receivers that they took ahead of him, uh, I'm going to say Deontay Johnson should not go ahead of Sterling Shepard. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't want Jarvis Landry over Sterling Shepard. Emmanuel Sanders went almost a round earlier than Sterling Shepard, which I think is just totally wrong. But uh, Sterling Shepard's a guy who I think is definitely a good player, a standout starting NFL receiver. If he's healthy, he just has the concussion concerns, which are huge. But in the in the ninth round, as my wide receiver four, it's like I know this guy can be my wide receiver three if he's healthy. So if I can get him as a wide receiver four with the, with the uh, the asterisk that he's an injury risk, that's fine. Um, in the tenth round, I went with Antonio Gibson, who I seriously considered taking over Sterling Shepard in the early ninth because Antonio Gibson's wide receiver eligible in the NFFC score uh, system, 
And late 10th round, and that's that's just where you're getting into the part of the draft where I don't consider him actually risky anymore because it's a 10th round pick. Uh, it's a late 10th round pick in my case. And it's it's one thing to to chase somebody into kind of like that first six, seven sort of rounds. But it's like we got my starting lineup already arranged here. Like if, if my backup isn't good, that's not ideal, of course. But if he's a high upside backup, it's just that, that's all I really care about anymore. Is like he, I'm not depending on him. So if he burns out, it doesn't matter. And if he does hit his upside scenario, I'm I'm just loaded then. And and I it's not quite uh, like Devin Johnson at Marshall when he was tight end eligible and ran for like 20 touchdowns when they moved him to running back. But if you can have a starting pass catching running back as a wide receiver, you generally would like to have that. Like if if Derrick Henry, Chubb, and Taylor all hit, and and Adrian Peterson gets hurt. I could have, you know, four of the top, whatever, eight running backs, and one of them might be at receiver behind A.J. Brown and Tyler Boyd and maybe even Rager or Shea. So I think that's a really nice setup that I got going there. And, um, yeah, I, I the next round I choked. Uh, I kind of just panicked with the clock counting down because th- that'll happen in these drafts too, by the way. It's like, like you said, you, you're targeting people, and eventually you'll get to this pick where you're like, oh, I don't like any of these options because um, because all these people are smart and they take all the all the good ones that you used to get are, are going two rounds earlier than you expected. I ended up with Brandon Ayuk, and I that was a reach objectively because he was going like two rounds later in the ADP than where I took him. But the next receiver taken, Justin Jefferson, I, I haven't heard of him being in the starting practices yet. I, I think that'll happen very soon. I, I don't believe BC Johnson can hold him off, but it's like, I know the 49ers kind of need Ayuk if he's able to play in week one. And as much as I don't think he's anywhere near Justin Jefferson as a prospect, uh, the Shanahan factor could, can make a receiver quite a bit better than they actually are. Mm-hmm. So um, and it was also kind of like an upside chase kind of thing. So from there, uh, I got Joe Burrow as my backup quarterback in the late 12th. I like that enough. Uh, Dallas Goddard is my backup tight end. I took him in the 13th. I was hoping to get Herndon. He went a few picks earlier, though. At that point, I took Goddard because I was trying to use that maximum upside sort of premise. For, and I thought for my own oh, sanity, um, would if Jarwin would, and Goddard were available, which one would you have chosen? Um, I. Huh. I would have taken Jarwin. He actually went the pick earlier, the one pick before I took Goddard. And then when I took Goddard, it was basically like, well, if Zach Ertz gets hurt, I guess that makes Goddard a top seven or eight tight end right away. Uh, and I'm not going to use him otherwise. So what, what what does it matter to me what his mid-range outcome is? And I don't know, maybe he would have been the best mid-range outcome guy too because the next tight end taken was like Jack Doyle, who I have no interest in this year. Yeah. Uh, and then Ian Thomas after that. Um, so anyway, I ended up with Goddard. I wasn't excited about that. I, I don't really like my Goddard pick or my Ayuk pick that much. If I could, I would just switch Ayuk for Herndon or uh, hell, Jarwin, I guess. So, uh, But it's fine. Uh, I, I think Goddard's a good player. It's just Ertz obviously will eat a lot up if, if he's if he's on the field and we have every reason to think he will be. Uh, after that, I took Benny Snell in the 14th round. I was a little bit caught off guard by how quick the running backs went. Um, even guys like uh, McKinnon and um, like Daryl Williams, Joshua Kelly, they're going in that 13th, 14th round range. Like you can't get them after that in NFFC drafts. The, the running backs you're talking after the, the sort of a 12th, 13th, 14th round are more like – 
uh, Ito Smith types, Eno Benjamin types. So anybody that you got as like a running back five or six in your best ball drafts or your normal leagues, you have to assume they're going to be gone by the end of the 14th round. And so, uh, but I was okay with Snell. I mean, he's, uh, I don't know what to make of the thing about him losing weight and, and being more of a pass catcher. I think uh, he's still not going to be fast or anything. He was slow at 225 or whatever. Dropping to 212 isn't going to make him all of a sudden uh, run run like a 4-5 flat. But if it gets some more passing down snaps, that's fine. Uh, and, and Connor has has a bad shoulder history, so we'll see about that. Anyway, I took in the 15th Legatron. Took my defenses in the 16th and 17th, Buffalo and Tampa Bay. And then to kind of cover up uh, the, the scenario of Snell being a rushing specialist in the event of a Connor injury. I took Jalen Samuels in the, the 18th and then in the 19th and 20th, I took Reggie Bonifon and Ty Montgomery. What's the, I mean, I, it is your 20th pick. So, I mean, it, any number of reasons can, can make it make sense, but what was the, what was the Ty Montgomery rationale? I'd like forgotten about him completely. Well, he's with the Saints now. And I, this wasn't about Kamara's contract. I, I don't think that Saints are trading Alvin Kamara. I think, they pretty obviously won't. But uh, in the 20th round, it's just like you're looking at a bunch of useless players, basically, guys that you just kind of assume you're going to cut. So if I'm going to spend a pick on somebody like that, I'm just going to kind of chase the maximum upside I can think of. And it's like if Kamara's out, then Montgomery, I think, is the pass catching specialist and Murray's the running specialist. And uh, I still think Ty Montgomery is a talented player i just think he got hurt and green bay ditched him and then uh, he kept getting hurt in practice with with the teams that were you know kicking the tires on him and and he never really got an audition again but if he does get on the field i still believe he's you know he's, he's like 220 and he's fast and he, he's always been like a good open field runner it's just he gets busted so much that uh you know one day he ends up on the saints and uh I don't know. They're, they're saying good things about him in practice, though. So who knows? I, I don't even really care. It was just, it was just like eh, PPR scoring plays on the Saints, whatever. I'm going to cut him anyway for probably like a kicker. Right. Exactly. So so like you said, you know, this, this is 20th round total. You know, you got to you got to have like three things happen for, for it to end up working out. But uh, if it does, hey, you look like an absolute genius. Um, but if not, again, uh, no real big deal there Um, we're going to move on over to my team but before then we got a message from our friend over at underdog say hello to your new favorite place to play fantasy football for real money underdog fantasy with underdog all you need to do is the fun part all you got to do is draft forget about injuries trades waivers and setting lineups just set it and forget it and wait for those winnings to come on in this year they have a one million dollar tournament that's right just draft the best team and you have a shot at one million dollars in prizes sign up for underdog today and enter the best ball mania for a chance at one million dollars in prizes by going to underdogfantasy.com or searching underdog fantasy in your app store be sure to enter the code ROTOWIRE after you make your first deposit. All right, Mario. So we are going to jump into uh, the ROTOWIRE online championship that I took uh, part in um, on Wednesday night. So this a, a little bit uh, more uh, reactive as far as like the 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 markets that we talked about earlier in terms of Fournette, um, Ronald Jones, all of that. Um, so I had the seventh spot and we had very, very similar uh, starts to this. And th- this is 
probably partially just like doing the pods and, and doing the radio with you and just having the osmosis of knowledge creep into my brain. So um, I had uh, Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor as my second and third round picks as well as uh, picking from, again, the seventh spot um, where we differed right off the bat. Uh, you didn't have the opportunity to get him, but I did. Um, and that was Michael Thomas starting things off in the first round. And, you know, that that's a move that I hadn't really done yet to this point. Um, but I, I did figure that with this being a, a PPR format and there being, you know, all, six running backs straight up just off the board now, um, I figured, all right, if I can just figure out running back in these next two rounds, then I won't be sinking myself completely um, by going with, with the wide receiver one here in Thomas, because that obviously ends up being the, the biggest you know, factor in it all. It's like, are you giving up a true workhorse running back in order to get a receiver, which is a little bit deeper, a little bit easier to replace. But Thomas kind of sits alone in his own tier just because of the way that the offense is is just geared towards getting him as many targets as humanly possible. Um, So I'm I'm talking myself into being pretty excited about the Michael Thomas pick there at at number seven, and then following it up with with Chubb and and Taylor. um, I felt good about that. And and sort of like you, I was kind of hoping that that I was going to maybe sneak Odell Beckham in. Like I I didn't think about him uh, after making my second pick. Um, But once the third round got underway, I was like, hmm, I mean, maybe, maybe he'll be there. And then um, Beckham, Allen Robinson, and Kenny Galladay all go off the board. So I figured, all right, I'll, I'll go running back here. Um, that's fine. I did have a brief moment where where I did have some buyer's remorse and, and felt like maybe I should have gone DJ Moore there. Um, but then my, my running back situation in the fourth probably would have been a little bit um, shaky. So I, I was fine with, with going Taylor there. Um the, the fourth and fifth round and, and the sixth round is where things started to get uh, pretty interesting, I thought. Um, I I started to get the, the sense that you do need to, you know, kind of completely throw ADP out the window, at least in, in this part, and get the guys that you really are um, sold on one way or the other. And Terry McLaurin fit that bill for me. I didn't have any scary Terry shares uh, just yet, so I wanted to have one, not, not just for the sake of it, but um, just because I do think that he's going to crush it again this year. I think that offense will be better. Um, year two, Dwayne Haskins, maybe maybe that adds to a bounce back there um, for him. McLaurin, I, I think, is just a, a ridiculous talent. So yeah, I, I, I was down with, with that. And, you know, guys like uh, DK Metcalf, who I love and, and have shares of as well, um, I just – I've for the first time I really use like the volume argument against those guys. Um, so I felt like McLaurin, uh, didn't have that, that volume concern. Absolutely. Yeah. No, McLaurin's got the clear runway in Washington and I love DK Metcalf. I mean, we, we both were advocates of his as a prospect, but Tyler Lockett isn't going anywhere. Greg Olson's going to be a better slot receiver than whatever they were putting out last year. So unless they throw more in Seattle, just, it there's just no way or if Lockett gets hurt there's no way for Metcalf to even theoretically get into the sort of usage uh, share that McLaurin can exactly so that this just really sets up well for him and then I, I backed him up with, with Tyler Boyd um 
you know, we, we talked a little bit, but before I stepped into this draft about, uh, the, the wide receiver market and how it shapes up in, in the fifth round. And, uh, I did feel like Boyd, what was the best option available? I took him over guys like Stefan Diggs, T Y Hilton, Michael Gallup, Devonte Parker. And I would do that 10 times out of 10. Like the, the only, uh, guy that was close to, to falling to me that, that I would have considered over Boyd, um, was Marquise Brown. Um, and again, with an overall prize here, I think that Brown probably would, would have been my selection but i have plenty of marquise brown already anyway I have, I have a good bit of tyler boyd too but i really really like tyler boyd for for this year so fine with him and then um rounding it out um as far as like my flex goes um i was able to get deandre swift in the six which i was not expecting so i, I was pretty happy about that's a that. steal yes yeah swift swift that late i mean he should not be going in my opinion any later than uh <laughs> kareem hunt go, going like around earlier than swift come on raheem, raheem moser should not be going ahead of swift i don't think ingram should be going ahead of swift and all those guys did in your draft so i think that's a, a really nice place to get him people are even if he is out week one, which we have reason to believe he will play week one, more reason to believe he will play than not. Uh, he will be so explosive in a way that carry on Johnson just can't even get close to imitating. And people who just rest on numbers and looking at things like draft capital, look at Swift and carry on Johnson and can't see different things They're like, they're just like, Oh, but he's a second round pick and he's a second round pick and he has an experience advantage. Watch them play something for once. Seriously, because there there isn't a huge comparison once you like actually watch the tape on on those or two look guys. At the production. Yeah, either way you slice it, it's pretty clear that Swift is the best running back in Detroit. Um, so even if even if he does end up sitting out week one again, like you said, it, it doesn't seem like that at least right now. Um, but if that ends up being the case, I, I did address running back a little bit later with, with someone that that will be able to give me some carries week one if if I can't yeah. go with Swift um, in my flex spot. Um, the next the next part of the draft is where I kind of made a, a bit of a misstep. Um, I do like Matt Ryan a, a lot this year. Uh, I think that he's someone that once you get outside of the the tier that you mentioned, the the Dak, Russ, Kyler, and Deshaun Watson tier, um, I think that he's the next guy up for me. Um, I think that he's someone that uh, you know they they don't have a great run game. They're going to be playing from behind a lot. Um, obviously the the uh, natural advantages of playing in the NFC South as far as like either bad defenses or favorable weather conditions or both in some cases is going to be enough to to see a really high passing volume from him and then uh, I know that you have Julio Jones as your wide receiver one for this year if, that, if that's still the case Calvin Ridley yeah. is obviously amazing as well maybe Hayden Hurst really finds that next level so I think that Ryan is going to put up awesome production this year the problem is that I got him um, thinking that I was going to be able to to sneak Zach Moss through into the eighth round, and, and that ended up not happening. He went um, with the third pick in the eighth round. I, I took Matt Ryan with the with the fifth pick of the of the seventh round. So I knew that that that, that was a possibility that, that Moss would be gone by the t- next time that I was up. But I, I guess in the moment I talked myself into into Ryan. Um, because that that next tier of quarterbacks, Josh Allen, I'm not super excited about. Um, Drew Brees, Carson Wentz, like those guys, I'm not as in on. So I would have had to end up waiting a lot longer and for like a Baker Mayfield or a Joe Burrow. So I was fine with going Matt Ryan, but again, burned me a little bit, changed my my running back strategy, and uh, thereafter I I went after um, Christian Kirk and Preston Williams and Jordan Howard. So a little mini Miami snack. Uh, 
stack there on my bench. And I was also pretty, pretty happy with getting my first Christian Kirk um, share as, as well. I know you wanted to get Moss there, but I think you perhaps were actually given a, a blessing in disguise by ha- having that option denied because I'm really high on Christian Kirk. I don't think it makes any sense for him to fall as far as he does. And, and especially in a league like this, where it's like if Jarvis Landry, uh, I'll just say it, Christian Kirk will outscore Jarvis Landry this year. And Jarvis Landry goes in like the sixth round. I don't know what people think Christian Kirk is. I don't know if they know anything about him, but it, it just doesn't make any sense. He should not be going later than guys like Jarvis Landry. He shouldn't be going later than Deontay Johnson. It's, it's nonsense in my opinion. And I think you will be glad to have Kirk on your team. I love Zach Moss, of course, but it, at least in, in the context of uh, y- your broader running back depth chart turned out pretty solid, in my opinion. So it would be one thing if it's like you're, it, we looked at your team and it's like, ooh, you really could have used a better running back four. But since you have Chubb, Taylor, Swift, uh, maybe I'm being a little reckless and, and having too much faith in my prospect evaluations there. But I, I think those guys do the trick. And basically, I would expect Moss to have just kind of ended up being a bunch of bench points for you anyway. Okay, so that that is very possible. Um, and I, I have plenty of Moss elsewhere. So uh, not the end of the world, I guess, after all, because again, you know, did end up with, with Christian Kirk, who could be a steal. Um, I like Preston Williams a lot for for this year, too. I think now that now that he's back uh, from the knee injury, um, I think that he's going to be good to go. Um, I think that Miami offense as a whole is, is going to be significantly better uh, this year, you know, bordering on, you know, actually competitive. Um, then after that, as you might have surmised, I did not have a tight end uh, through the first 10 rounds. Um, I dipped into the Mario well. I went after Austin Hooper, and I, I was pretty happy to, to get him uh, where where I did. I knew that a, a tight end run was was coming. I just wasn't sure where. Uh, Gronk and Jared Cook had just gone to a few picks before in the previous round, and I figured, all right, like it, it's probably Austin Hooper time, and I have a lot of Hawkinson already. I recognize his upside. Uh, I see it with Noah Fant, even though there's some inconsistencies to his game. I just think that, uh, you know, you've laid out the case for Austin Hooper enough on this podcast, but, you know, essentially uh, with, you know, Baker Mayfield's ability with tight ends, with the emphasis on tight end in Cleveland now that Stefanski's there and the the contract that they gave Hooper, um, and plus Hooper's just kind of uh, really high efficiency, that was enough for me to 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 be pretty happy with, with waiting on tight end and still landing him in the 11th. Yeah, the 11th round is late for Hooper, especially in point per reception leagues. So I think that's totally good. I, I have taken Hawkinson over him at certain times, but that was more of kind of a chasing upside kind of thing. I would say Hooper easily has the higher floor yeah. between himself and Hawkinson. And the only reason I wouldn't give Hooper the upside lane to consider is just because I don't really think the Browns are going to throw the ball that much, uh, or at least if they plan on it, they should probably add some better receiver personnel, but it looks like they're going to go with just kind of like an Njoku Hooper Landry Beckham offense for most of the time. And with Nick Chubb, the running back, of course, I actually really think that a lot of the Hooper skepticism, it's not, it's not just people trying to rationalize their, uh, kind of blind faith in Hayden Hurst. It's that they need to put down Hooper to justify their ridiculous valuations of Kareem Hunt. Because if if this is an offense where it's it's a two receiver offense basically and you're you're still saying like Hooper's not going to do anything in that case, it's it's like you're saying, oh well this running back is going to catch whatever 65, 70 passes. Um part of the problem is too is like uh, some, something like um 
I don't know, like a fifth or some decent number of, of Hunt's snaps in those eight games for Cleveland last year were literally at tight end. And that's going to turn to zero now. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's it, Hooper's going to take all those snaps and people aren't really they're just generally dismissing Hooper as an entirely system player from Atlanta. And, and it's, they want to believe that because if he is, then it means Kareem hunt is going to be necessary. But I think hunt will be a change of pace player. I think it's a guy they'll, they'll try to get him screens and stuff. If the, if the pass rush is a problem for the offense that day, and certainly he's a good running back as, as a pure runner. So if, if, uh, if a run heavy offense, a two tight end run heavy offense is what they're calling even if Nick Chubb is getting 18, 20 carries per game, they can still get 10 carries to hunt three or four catches. But the idea that hunt is going to be this kind of like league winner type, uh, or, or at least like justifiable as a fifth round pick, even if Chubb doesn't get hurt, that necessarily is saying like, Oh, well, don't worry about Hooper. He's not going to do anything. And Hooper's going to do something. If, if, I mean, I don't, I don't think you need to believe he's all that good to see it. He's definitely going to play a lot. And if Jarvis Landry is the second best receiver, I think Hooper generally beats him because if you're running at a two wide set with two tight ends, Landry's further away from the slot that he usually run in runs in where he's, he's at his best. And Hooper is effectively the closer analog to the slot route runner because he's running from tight end, which is closer to the quarterback. They're running the same depth and, and Landry's just laterally further away. And by the way, he's, he's not even, he's like barely faster than Hooper. Uh, I think Hooper wins that, and I, I don't think people are taking that possibility seriously at all, even though at the time Hooper had been given the biggest contract at tight end in the league. See? Yeah, so, so those are all details that, that have been overlooked uh, to varying degrees. Um, I think that Hooper is probably their best red zone threat. Uh, he's someone who caught uh, six touchdowns last year. It wouldn't shock me if he, if he uh, at least match that even on less targets or um, even even bested it um, this year. I think that he you know he does have that ability, got the big mitts and, and all that good stuff. So um, I do like Austin Hooper there. I was I was happy to to end up with him, but I, I piggybacked him uh, two rounds later with Bla- with Blake Jarwin. You know, acknowledging that he's at best like the fifth option in that Cowboys passing game, but that Cowboys passing game you know had the most yardage I believe in in the league last year. Um, and you know Jarwin's not going to be losing out on snaps to you know the, the ghost of jason witten anymore so um I, I i thought that that was a fine enough pick and he's wearing his varsity jacket in his nffc picture which is pretty funny so that that, that was also a determining it gives you uh gives you a little leverage on jerry who had dak oh true true that that is a good call um rounding things out as far as my, my roster um went I, I did end up with darrell henderson feel nauseous about that i feel like he's gonna it's fine I'm, you think running so? Back, running back five, it's fine. Okay, all right. That, that so makes me feel better. It might not. It probably won't work or whatever. But it's running back five. Who cares? Yeah, and and my running backs one through three are, are pretty stacked. So and four. Yeah. Howard as a four is good. Okay. Um, um, you're talking me back. It makes me feel a lot better. And then um, I got Jarek McKinnon um, as like a slight hedge. May I'm I'm like pretty in on Mostert this year. I have a lot of shares of him. But um, if that doesn't work out, I wanted some way to to, to piggyback into benefiting out of it. Uh, Jarek McKinnon might represent that. I don't really know. I just kind of went for it. I was a little bit shook with with um, Josh Kelly and, and Darrington Evans and, and Benny Snell all flying off the board. Um, He's the pass catcher, so that's that's a decent flex back up basically there we go um ended up with um i was gonna go after baker mayfield 
in the 15th. Um, he ended up getting taken. So I went with Nkeel Harry. Um, again, it was just one of those situations where I felt like in New England, he's really the only legit um, outside receiver. And, and I know you, you might laugh when I say that he's a legit outside receiver, given uh, how muted his rookie season was. But I, I think year two um, will be, you know, his time to shine. And if he doesn't, then, you know, he might just be kind of kind of toast in that case but I think that he will at least have the opportunity um, to get it done as the outside receiver there and maybe they're not going to be as slot reliant um, in New England this year now that they have Cam Newton so um, all of that combined was enough for me to go after Harry uh, um, Gardner Minshew Chase Claypool um, were my next couple of picks I, I imagine Claypool will, will end up being a, a wash of a pick but if he's not then, then that's cool um, Tennessee I think that that defense is being slept on a little bit this year I think that they are pretty awesome and and this isn't just you know from their performance in the playoffs I think that they have a core that's um, kind of ascending um, I think that uh, who was the was it Jeffrey Simmons is there um, is there defense rookie defensive end from a year ago yeah. i think that i think that he's about to be a serious problem for for yeah, teams across the scary. league yeah really really they're still um they signed vic beasley hopefully he gets his stuff together he was he was a weird like covid holdout kind of thing uh but they're, i think they're still chasing clowny too so that might happen and if it does then, then all the better so I, I definitely like tennessee as one of those like if you're waiting on defense um, and, and continuing to like stockpile your, your depth elsewhere, um, you can wait on, on them. And I, I think that you'll end up being pretty happy with it. Um, you know, as, especially as an 18th round pick, I was like, okay, I'll, I will absolutely take that. Um, and then uh, James Robinson was my last skill position guy before, before, um, nice. before I hit the kicker. Um, so I was pretty happy with it overall. Um, <laughs> I'm a little bit leery sometimes of, of like the, um, sites software that that gives you your your draft grade and you know i'm usually like proud when like what one website says that i have like an f or something I'm like okay that that means i did it right and i'm gonna prove well, don't they wrong. give you an don't they give you an a if you auto draft <laughs> like <laughs> isn't isn't it a uh, bad to have the adp as as your exact draft order i don't know i would think so but um either way um i i graded out well um on the on the nffc's website and then we have this cool feature. I don't know how much you, you've you've used it yet, but uh, you can import your your league onto RotoWire, and it will give you a draft grade. If you import your draft, it will give you like the the best free agent pickups, the best uh, value plays or value selections, or, and biggest reaches within your draft. So, it really cool feature. I didn't really use the the my leagues feature on RotoWire a ton last year, but I've imported every league that I've that I've drafted thus far on there, and it's. It, I got to say like the, the, the tech team has done like a, a pretty amazing job with that. And I, I really like, um, just having the, having a sort of like central dashboard because, you know, we play yeah. on so many different, um, sites. So too many tabs, way too many tabs. So that, that simplifies and stratifies it for you. So if, if you're out there and you're a subscriber, uh, definitely recommend doing that. And then, uh, quickly before we get out of here, we could, we can talk about Jerry's team. Um, Jerry went with the modified zero RB and was able to stick the landing. I thought for the most part. So he picked, um, second overall, um, ended up with, with Saquon Barkley. Um, then went Kittle, Calvin Ridley, AJ Brown. I'm so jealous of the of the Ridley Brown duo. That that's one that I try to strive for um, in most of the drafts that I do. Um, so really like that. Uh, Michael Gallup. He got Dak Prescott as well. Marvin Jones. So then 
you know, he, we're through seven rounds and he only has one running back. And then he hammers like your classic PPR running backs. Um, and, you know, if he gets one out of those three right, then he's going to be fine. And that that was James White, Chase Edmonds and Duke Johnson uh, through for picks eight through ten. Yeah, uh, I guess the only thing I would have done differently than him is I'm kind of going with the the strategy of going cheaper at tight end, uh, whereas he took Kittle in the second round, which, you know, Kittle's a beast. I, I just kind of I like to chase those cheap, at least in PPR, those those Herndon, Hawkinson type guys. He got Hawkinson late, so I'm almost like now your tight ends are too good. Um, but yeah, he's he's got, um, like you said, white to kind of give the the floor play at running back every week and then. It uh, looks like he's he's just hoping for one of Edmonds, Duke Johnson, Tevin Coleman to just have something go right to give that that flex tied up spot. Um, yeah, James Washington in the 15th, I think, could also pay off pretty good for him. Yeah, I know, I know that Jerry's been a big James Washington fan throughout this offseason, and, and he did end up going, you know, probably later than he should. And I, I was very torn going between uh, and Kale Harry and, and him. Uh, and, <clears throat> uh, you both should have taken Steven Sims. Yeah, I, I, or Paris I, Campbell. I figured out I, I would hear about the Sims thing at, at one point or another. You're and gonna I, hear about the Sims thing. <laughs> he was in my queue at least, and I I don't have any way of proving that. But I swear to God, he was in my queue, and then he got. Oh man, this guy took Antonio. Not you. This this other these other guys in the draft took Antonio Brown and Russell Gage over Stephen Sims. Just ugh, awful. Just lighting their entry on fire. Um, but a- anyway, that's gonna wrap it up. Um. Jerry's Jerry the rest of Jerry's team Ryan Tannehill um he's got Baltimore's defense it looks like in Tampa Bay's defense also drafted two kickers so that's a bold move cotton but fair enough you know corner of the market on kickers I like it uh Zane Gonzalez a really good college kicker and maybe Arizona will uh score a lot of touchdowns this year so get a lot of extra point opportunities and obviously not kicking in adverse conditions don't really know much about the stylings of of one Joey Sly but I I imagine that Carolina won't be scoring a lot of touchdowns this year good kicker name but yes extremely good kicker name um I had a good tweet from like last summer of the best college football kicker names. I don't know where it is right now, but there, there are some good ones. Um, but anyway, that is going to wrap things up for this edition of the Thursday Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Dynasty Owner. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.